All right. We are back for another week of Wilderness Outreach Mancast. Welcome to the Wilderness Outreach Mancast. My name is Jim Hahn, along with my brothers, John Bradford and Pete Mamoni. And tonight, Mancast is your weekly adventure in the wilds of masculine spirituality, where we'll be hunting for the meaning of manhood, tracking down the intercession of faith and science, uncovering true leadership, and searching for the deep meaning of the history of God's created universe. So strap on your hiking boots and backpacks, grab your compass and map, and let's get rolling. All right, so tonight, it's going to be a great Great episode. We're going to be talking about putting first things first, our third habit and the seven habits of highly effective people. But before we do that, we are going to put first things first. And I think Mr. John is going to lead us in a prayer. Yeah, in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we bless you. We thank you for this wondrous and good life that you've given us and the opportunity to do your work here during this time of history. We just ask that you fill our hearts with your wisdom. Speak through us tonight and let us yield with great humility to all the powers and wonders of your creation and your universe. And we ask all of this through Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so to, today we're celebrating the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrow, so we'll ask for her special intercession during this podcast on our third, uh, third habit of highly effective people or holy, holy Catholics, I guess is what we could also look at it. So today, this uh, but first things first, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, and we've already alluded to it in our last uh, episode. Um, but I guess the question is, you know, you have this be proactive, you know, you're in control. And that's kind of like we, we had this opportunity to learn how to push pause and think about things before we respond to them. We're not going to react. We're acting. So we're pushing pause in that pause. We have the opportunity, as John mentioned last week, to use our right brain, get creative in the things that the possibilities that we can come up with during that pause. And now in this third habit, it's really kind of bringing it to life, this the second creation. So I, I was going to ask you guys if you could share maybe some personal stories or some ideas from your own life, how you've experienced the second creation, and maybe even better, like how the first and the second habit tied into that. If you guys could maybe do that. And John, I don't know if you want to you start us with that. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, so... Uh, uh, it seems like it's. I've been living these in a a bit without knowing it when I was a young man, and so when I when my life would work out well, it's like I was using the habits properly, though I didn't know what they were at that time. But just kind of the idea of uh, <clears throat> realizing, you know, I'm in charge of my life. I got to take responsibility. I got to, you know, be res regardless of what's happening to me. It's up to me to pick myself up and move to a different place and. Uh, part of that journey for me, and I, if I think about it, uh, using those habits, uh, you know, uh, starting uh, my own construction company, and I should say starting our own construction company, because Laura and I built a construction company together. And it was always uh, in the back of my mind as something that that I could do, that we could do, but I was working for a, 
another company, but it was one of those things. So in my mind, the, that first creation was starting to take place where I was starting to say, what would that company look like that, that I would build, that we would build. And, uh, and, uh, and then the opportunity started to present itself, you know, as I thought about it, it's like there was a point in time where it was, it was time to move on, go to a, and uh, move away from the construction company I work for. And then uh, next thing you know, it's like, you know, putting together a company and, uh, you know, I, I did everything from, uh, you know, thinking about, well, what's this company going to look like in a year? What's it going to look like in six years? And put actually put this formalized business plan together, which at the time, uh, because we were in the hard bid market, did a lot of work at Ohio State University, City of Columbus, uh, government type agencies. Uh, we had to put something together so that the the bonding companies that basically finance the risk you you could say for for doing these projects they liked what they saw and that and that was kind of the beginning of our company and I I can just remember laying you know awake at night thinking about jobs that we were going to bid and then and then when finally we started to get some jobs that we could bid it's like all of a sudden the, that second creation first things first really took off so it was time to like look at a job imagine, really think with the left brain about how that job was going to be put together, what the costs were and how the whole thing was going to track out, how long it was going to take to do it and basically start to build it. So, and, and, it, and, you know, the, uh, I think the first things first, uh, really speaks to like the building of buildings. Uh, you know, when Jim, you build a house before Peter, you get ready to renovate a house. You just bought one and, Next thing you know, you're like, I'm, I got to do something with this house or I got to build a house. I got to build this building. And so the plan starts to fall in place and you realize there's a first things first. You got to put the first thing in line first. And so for me, that really started to happen again in my life, but in a really big way in building the company that we ended up uh, owning and running for over 14 years and uh, very and just had a great run in the industry with some really great men that worked with us. So it's really uh, it's really a good uh, a good expression, I think, of the of both the first and the, the second creations, begin with the end in mind, and then putting first things first. Yeah, as you're uh, talking about that, I'm imagining like all these jobs that you would be bidding, and that's just a constant cycle, really, of you know being proactive beginning with the end in mind, putting first things first. You're just doing that over and over with each, each job, really. Yeah. And then, you know, like I remember the first project that I bid and got, it's like I started working it myself. So I was the labor, the carpenter, the estimator, the project manager, <laughs> the, the everything guy. Right. Right. Then I had to hire our first guy. So I ended up hiring a guy that uh, really helped, uh, uh, we, you know, carpenter type guy, guy with some good skills. And then as, uh, then I could, I could start stealing away from the job, right. To try to, uh, to do some more work. So, uh, and then, you know, to keep, to feed the beast, so to speak. Right. So I had to start thinking about, and then we ended up with two guys and I was like, well, you know, this job's only going to last another three months. So I got to get out there and get another job. Right. So I started thinking about, well, what's this other job going to look like? So I could keep those guys busy 
start, you know, get, get, get some more work right in behind it and keep rolling. So, yeah, it was, uh, how about with you, Jim? Yeah. Oh, I really like your, your house, uh, you know, reference there because I, I had you come to one of my classes when we were doing the seven habits and that's kind of what you did with the kids was, you know, if you're going to build a house, where do you start? Where do you begin? You know, and it, when you really think about it and the kids, I think got it pretty quick. It, it's obvious. You don't start with the roof. You don't start with the walls. You know, you got to start with the foundation or even the clearing of the land and things like that. And it, that really helped them see, you know, putting first things first, you know, and I was preparing for this episode, I was thinking about all the things that I've built from, you know, house to my kitchen table to writing, you know, books, things like that. There's one, one that I, I like to share that really kind of, you know, helps illustrate this, how important this is. And so sometimes when um, our family goes on vacation, we'll go, you know, to Nicole's parents in Louisiana or someplace like that. What I'll do is I'll contact one of our priests and say, you know, hey, you want to get out of the city? You want to get out, get away, come stay at our house. We're going to be gone. You're welcome to, to stay there. And so this particular time, uh, Father Stosh Daly, you know, I think you guys know Father Daly. He came and stayed for a few days. And as a as a token or as a gift of appreciation, he decided to give the boys a um, a Lego Lamborghini. So I'm assuming that you guys have played with Legos, John. Yeah, of course. Lego? I'm kind of pre Lego. Really. <laughs> you got to get back to those things called Lincoln Logs. You know, that's what. That's okay. What I was right. When I was your son's age, right? <laughs> okay. Created by Abe Lincoln, right? <laughs> but anyway, so with the Legos, so this was this beautiful uh, Lamborghini that they would have to put together. So Father gave that to them, and I think he wasn't even down the drive before they tore upstairs and started digging into this thing. And so they were up there for a while and I thought, well, I better go check on them, you know, and the oldest probably at the time was 10 years old. So this has probably been 10 or 11 years ago, and, you know, probably 10, eight, six. So I went up there and all of them were almost in tears. And I'm like, what happened? What's wrong? <laughs> and I look and all of the pieces are out of the bags, out of the box on the floor, <laughs> ready to be built. Well, if you, if you have any familiarity with Legos today, especially there's a sequence. And so you do a certain part of a project that comes out of bag number one, a certain part that comes out of bag number two, a certain part <laughs> that comes and so on. And what they had done is opened up all the bags, mixed everything together. And so there was, there was basically no way to build this, this Lamborghini. So to me, that really illustrates this, the importance of putting first things first. There mm. was, there's no way for them to build you know, the body of the, this thing, unless they had built, you know, the chassis and, and all that. And they had to follow the steps. And this is a, a painful illustration of not putting first things first. How about you, Pete? Man, those are some good <laughs> stories, guys. I like, uh, I like the one with the Legos. That sounds a little bit like my whole entire life. <laughs> <laughs> you'd so stoked about some things and then you just go all in, you know what I mean? And then you're like, wait a minute, I should probably think about this, <laughs> but, uh, thank God, you know, he's merciful and he, he can put those Legos back in the correct bags and, and lead us to a, how to build the, the perfect Lamborghini. Right. But, um, 
So a good example I'm in the midst of for being putting first things first um, is I like John was saying, really, was I bought a house. So he just kind of like leaked everything I was about to say before I said it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd been thinking about doing this for a while. You know what I mean? It obviously took some planning and a lot of groundwork to do. Um, and uh, we got the keys yesterday. It was a good time. So kids are enjoying that. But uh, well, I'd, I'd like to yeah talk about that a little bit, Peter, because I was kind of with you when I mean for the past few years, you know, it's yeah. like you yeah, were saying, so like you know, I should I get a house? You know, so <laughs> you were thinking about it. So you were in that first like you were working habit number one, I need to get a house and move in and have something of my own. So you were kind of grabbing hold of that. Right. And then you started thinking about it and you did some interesting things at work. Right. So what, what'd you do at work to help pull that whole thing off and together? Right. Um, well, it started with, uh, I mean, with my story really. And then, it it came like to a point where I decided that a house was the right move. And then after that, I have, well, I had an abundance of overtime available at work. So I, I decided to make the sacrifice of uh, spending time with my kids and my family to work more so that we could have something better later. And it was, it was a rough decision to make and it was hard the whole time I did it. But uh, so I worked I, I work nights, so I was working like three 12-hour shifts at night and then three 10 to 11-hour shifts in the daytime every week for like, I don't know, it felt like forever. And uh, I'll never do it again unless I, you know, unless the Lord <laughs> asks me to <laughs> or get forced into it, you know. But um, so I did that, and then there were some other things along the journey that were pretty difficult, but the uh you know beginning with the end in mind really helped me carry through to the point i'm at now to where i have a house and you know now i gotta start it seems like i gotta start all the habits over again okay so like what do i gotta do to prepare the house to make it to where we can move into it you know what i mean and uh so i'm doing i'm doing pretty well in in that area that's a success story of uh putting first things first right and here's a fail, a failure, a current one really for me is, uh, you know, putting the Lord first in the sacraments and in, uh, in my life. So I have this success going on with this house with like physical training and like a few other areas are going really well. And like, it's easy when these areas are going well to fail to keep all the important things or the most important things at the forefront of everything for me. Um, so like I, I need to get to confession. It's like, ah, I'll just, I'll just wait till Saturday. You know what I mean? Cause that's, that'll be the easiest time for me to go, but I need to go sooner than that, you know, for sure. Good night. I love you. Hey, you say hi. Hi. <laughs> say good night. <laughs> love you. Chica. Good night. <laughs> so there's another instance of being able to um take a second and just put first things first i guess just real life um yeah 
there's another one. <laughs> that's actually <laughs> but, a good segue, Pete, so. because you know that's 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 the thing. You know, we talk about putting first things first, and it sounds great, but my goodness, life gets in the way, right? So how that's that's kind of the one of the tools that Covey gives us is being able to figure out how to do that, not just saying it and making it a a thing we just talk about putting first things first, but giving us tools to actually do that in real life. So John, I think you have the most experience and expertise on this, um, this idea of being able to kind of sift and sort through life and, and figure out how things fit. Can you talk about that a little bit about like the management matrix or whatever yeah, you yeah. use to help sort through life and actually do this? Yeah, it's because it's we need something to be able to organize all the things that are coming at us, right? And and yeah, I'll bring up this one uh, slide here. I think I can. Let's see here, maybe like that. So, and especially for Steve Ford, who's sitting over there on YouTube watching us right now. So I know he's going to dig this because Steve, my my brother Steve Ford, he's one of those men that's like he's he's. He's digging back into the academic world and getting some, uh, getting some more uh, experience in uh, project management and stuff. You know, he's taking some some higher courses and stuff. And this this idea of the the uh, decision matrix. You know, if you look at it, you got if you think of it, you got four quadrants. You got an upper left hand quadrant, which is it's kind of represents those things in our lives that are like they got it. They're urgent and they're important and they got to get done like right now. Right. So it's like the other day, good example of that. Uh, Laura and I are driving back from her barn and, uh, uh, and all of a sudden all the, the head, the lights go out on the car and it dies. And I'm thinking to myself, where's Peter? I know he knows how to work on cars, right? So anyway, <laughs> it's like, well, this is like, okay, this is like real time. We got to take care of this right now. It's like, so, so we ended up like limping this car, getting it to my sister's house, which was about a mile and a half away. And, uh, but it, that, that was urgent and it was important. We had to get the job done. Or, I mean, if, if somebody's hurt or there's something comes up that, you know, we got to take care of it right now. And that's kind of a, that's a, an area that we just, it's important and urgent. And then uh, below that, right below that, you could say there's an area on that lower left-hand part of the quadrant. It's not important, but it's like, it feels like it's urgent, right? So kind of like stuff like emails or, you know, we're sitting here right now talking and if all of a sudden my phone would go off and I say, I'm just going to go answer this phone and forget about you guys and what I'm doing right now because the phone feels like it's important, right? Or there could be some other kind of meeting that seems like it's important, but it's really not important at all. It just feels urgent, right? And then there's this area called the quadrant four, which is the lower right-hand area, which is, it's like just busy work and escapism, right? It's like how many of us find our play ourselves, uh, you know, I'm on the internet. So I think I'll go over to YouTube and look at something. And then an hour goes by and it's like, what have I been doing? And right. all I've been doing is escaping. <laughs> I haven't been doing anything productive. 
and it's just like not important and it's not urgent. But what we really need to be working on is that quadrant two area, which is it's not urgent. In other words, it's not something that's pressing us, but it's important. And it's basically that it's habit two again. What's well, habit one, taking control of our lives, habit two, having a vision for where we're going to be in a year, you know, where we're going to be next week, six months, a year and 10 years. And really thinking about how do I prepare for that? How do I build the right relationships with right people? And how do I plan that out? That's, and that's part of that, that, uh, quad, that, uh, the beginning with the end in mind and it's part of, which is part of the first creation of, of getting, g- getting to where we really want to be. So like with, with Peter, I, there was a lot of time that I spent with him in quadrant two, where he's thinking about getting this house. Right. And, and so he, he knew then, well, I have to start working a lot of overtime so I can get a good down payment and that kind of stuff. So he started going into work right? And so he went and, and he did that. So in that, in that quadrant two thing, and I think what, what the Covey really talks about, it's really important. We have to, you have to take care of quadrant one. It's urgent and it's important. It might be life-threatening, right? Or it might be something you got to take care of business right now, get it done. But then quadrant two, we really need to put our time. So every bit of time that we got outside of quadrant one, we got to start putting that time into quadrant two that long-term planning, preparing, building the right relationships. And there's a, uh, our, our a good brother from um, over there in the Indianapolis area, Michael Pavey, he's like PMP, man, PMP, right? So, um, and I'm thinking what he means there is, is production and then, or P, PC, right? So production and production capability. So if you think about it, what's urgent and important like if you're running a business like a construction company or a uh, you know a plant or something that you're building stuff what's really urgent and important is you got to get the the product turned out today right now you got to be happy you have to be working you have to be doing that thing so on a construction project today is urgent and important and you got to get the work done but you want to start building production capability out into the future. And it kind of relates back to what we were talking about, Jim, when you, when, when I was saying, when I, after I hired the first couple guys, I could then kind of entrust the job that we were doing with them. And I could sneak off and go do some estimating, find some more work so I could start build for that future. So that was kind of getting into that area of quadrant two was, which wasn't urgent, but very important to, the building of a future. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking about there. Yeah. And as you're, as you're saying that I'm thinking of, uh, you know, and and Covey says this over and over and we've talked about it, you know, that we really want to try to live our lives in, in that quadrant too, living for the things that are important, but not urgent. And as you're talking, I'm thinking of, I was just thinking of some of the, um, the points of, you know, on the website of masculine spirituality, you know, brotherhood, it's not urgent, but it is important. Asceticism, mm-hmm. it's not urgent, but it isn't, you know, so all of these things that we have, that we, that we have on the website that we're dealing with and masculine spirituality, there's nothing that's going to push us to do these things because, you know, there's a fire under us, but they are very important for us to pay attention to. 
Would that's, you agree with that? Oh, that's an excellent point. You know, it's kind of neat. Uh, we had a, we just came back from the Sierra Nevada, which some of, some of the folks saw some of our, uh, interviews we had there was one one man in particular who was was out there and he he hasn't been on an interviews yet but uh met with him uh, two days ago and uh, he basically said that was probably the hardest thing i've ever done in my life and it was the best so it was kind of like that right so it's like Mm -hmm. here on these expeditions our five disciplines are worship that's definitely quadrant two. We got to get in line with God. We got to, we, we have to avail ourselves to the sacraments of reconciliation and then, and then move to prayer. And then, and then, you know, uh, when we're worthy, take the body and blood of Christ to enrich ourselves, to make us into better men. And then the idea of work then in that, in our setting, uh, it's not an urgent type of work, but it's the work of the formation of us. And we do that physically, spiritually, and intellectually. So again, that's like that quadrant two we're working on. And then the books we read, and we, we're talking about leadership uh, and trying to understand how the world works and how we can position ourselves as men, as fathers, as providers and protectors for our families and, and our church. Again, there's that long-term quadrant two type of focus on that. And, and then the brotherhood that it builds. I mean, it's amazing how on those uh, expeditions, we build brotherhood. You know, once you've been on an expedition with a man like that, and you've gone through this, this, the asceticism, the denial of self, the hard work, the constant prayer that we're in, that man's a brother. That man's a brother for you forever. There's something that's oh, yeah. happens there in that in that setting that it's like we're brothers, and all of a sudden it it brings us together in a sense as a discipline of brotherhood, where where it's it's amazing how you can feel very confident to reach out to one of our brothers you've experienced this with and say, "I'm working on a problem, man. Can you help me?" So it's, you know, there's, and that's that brotherhood or a brother would come to you and say, looks like you're veering off the trail there. Can I help? Right. And that's that discipline right. of brotherhood. It's really built in again, in that quadrant too, just by taking that time. And, and I think it retreats in general are kind of like that. That's what the idea of a retreat is, right. To kind of pull back away from the world and work in that quadrant two area kind of get your mind right, get, you know, get the, get the clutter out so you can think better. And yeah, absolutely. What about you, Pete? What do you, what is your take on the, on the matrix or how to prioritize and get rid of all the junk? Um, I think that the major key for me is the bookends of my days, like I've said before. So like the way I stay focused on these things is uh, like the night before I'll have a list for tomorrow for the things that I need to do that I have to do that are all quadrant two and quadrant. Well, mostly they'll be focused on like quadrant one, which uh, for people that are just listening and not seeing is um, the things that are urgent and important. So the things that I have to take care of or it's going to be all bad. Um, and then the rest of the things on my list are typically things that 
I, I need to take care of to uh, improve the future, right? So that's all quadrant two, which is the not urgent, but important. And uh, the, the big ways that I keep those in the forefront of my mind are the list of the, the night before. And then when I wake up in the morning reviewing that list after I, you know, pray and uh, or fail to pray and have my coffee and uh, <laughs> and begin my day to the best of my ability, however it goes, <laughs> you know what I mean, that day. And uh, yeah, that's I just kind of try to stay grounded in that. So it's not necessarily always uh, Stephen Covey, like quadrant, whatever day. But it is a uh, like in in the way that I look at it. But I mean, like after I've read this book and started to understand this concept in particular, I started doing those things. You know what I mean? And being more prepared and putting the first things first. And uh, so it it's kind of just come into my life into a habit, really, right? Right. In that way. What about you? What do you do, Jim? Well, I'm going to I'm going to risk John shutting off my mic and my camera and everything else cuz I'm going to go a way little, better answer than this. A and little Steve heretical thinks. here on this this whole thing. <laughs> uh, cuz I'm not a big fan of the Matrix itself. Um a big fan of the movie, The Matrix, but not the uh the <laughs> Covey, the Matrix. Um I and I don't know that. if it's just because I don't, I, my, I don't know, my brain just doesn't think that way. Um, I could probably get better at it. I'm sure if I sat down and uh, really worked with it more. Um, but to me, it's, it's really, it's about prioritizing and, and what are the big things, the most important things, you know, family, friends, you know, exercise, reading, whatever those things are. And I love, you know, when I was studying this way back when I found this video and I'll put a link to it on, uh, on the Facebook page or, or wherever you want to put it. But it's a, a video of a conference that Stephen Covey did. And I think you can you can Google it or YouTube it and just put Stephen Covey big rocks. But um, he does this demonstration where he brings this lady out of the crowd and has this bowl and he pours in like all these little rocks in the in the bottom of this bowl. Right. And it looks kind of like that gravel you see in the bottom of a fish tank. OK, so and, he, and he's saying this is all the little things that come at us in life, you know, just stuff we don't. We're not ready for. We don't expect email, phone calls, you know, cars breaking down, whatever it is. And then he has all these big rocks sitting on the table, too. And those are, you know, the habits. Those are family. Those are jobs. Those are things like that. So he challenges her to put in to try to get all these rocks in on top of those little rocks. And it just, you know, you see her struggling with it. And she tries all these different ways and she has to make sacrifices. Some things have to go, you know time with family or, or the job, she has to decide what to put in there. And so in the end, he gives her another bucket and invites her to put the big rocks in first. And then they pour the little rocks in on top of it and it all fits. And so to me, that's, that's kind of how I look at things. So I'll have my calendar and, you know, first thing is, you know, whatever family stuff is going on, that's, that's going to be a big rock that goes in there you know, work stuff, that's going to be a big rock. And then all the other things, if I can fit it on the calendar, fine. If I can't, fine. But I'm not, uh, but I'm not a guy who gets into the, <laughs> into the quadrants. I, if I sat down and really looked at them and prayed about them, I'd know where to put them. Um, but I, that just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. 
but I'll put a link to that video. I'll put another link that's basically a PDF that he, I think Covey designed, and it's basically a weekly calendar. On the left-hand side, it has roles and goals. So you can put your role as a, as a husband, as a brother in Christ or whatever, and you can put the goals beside it and you can fill in what are those big rocks? You know, I'm, yeah, I'm a I husband. Think... I want to, I want to be this person for my wife. I'm going to schedule a date. Right. Yeah. I think you're, so I, I like that. You're like just above and beyond the quadrants. All right. Um, <laughs> Like, because that's the whole point of everything that's going on is to focus on the big rocks, bro. <laughs> like, right, which I think that cool ties in everything. It's right. for slow people like me and John, like they can't just grasp things like that. Well, that's why <laughs> Jim's Jim's here with us to pull us up, man. Yeah, right. To get us up on that right. higher level. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. Kevin Jones out there, the brother in Christ for sure, says habit to put put. Habit two puts uh, begin with the end in mind and causes us to think about the eternal self in that quadrant two, right? Uh, we th we think about our eternal eternal self, so we learn to put God as part of habit three and prioritize time serving Him. I really like that. In other words, we got the right we got the right uh, long term idea there of serving God through our work and everything, and then then. I think he starts prioritizing it. And that's almost kind of like what you're talking about, Jim. It's like you just kind of, you, you kind of like almost from a right brain perspective, again, you're like trying to do the right thing and then let the Lord kind of work it for me. Right. Let, let him kind of, you know, get the big rocks in place there. Right. And, and then right. fill in the rest of the stuff as we can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Michael. Like Michael makes a good analogy. point there about if if we're working with for somebody, right? It's getting our quadrants lined up with our boss's quadrant, right? So that's that's a that's a struggle. Like when we're working right. for other organizations, we have what we feel are important points, and you know how do we get that aligned with what he finds important? You know, whatever our boss finds important. So yeah, right. That's funny. Somebody just told me that said, uh, I forget what the phrase was, but like what's important to your boss should be important to you. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a good way. <laughs> that's a good way. Yeah. Of looking at yeah. It. yeah. You know, you want to, want to keep your job, but I, I like the big rocks analogy too, just because it's, uh, we're guys, we're wilderness outreach and that's what we do. So yeah. Moving those big rocks. You know, that's right. So love it. So we're, we're going to move a, a little bit here and, um, so part of placing those big rocks or moving around in the matrix correctly, we have to be able to say the N word, the no word to people and say it often, right? How often do you say no to people, John? Uh, that's probably not a problem for me. Okay. <laughs> to, to maybe a fault, right? I'm, I, I've, 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 I've and, and it may be, and again, to a fault, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, in Jordan Peterson's, uh, he does that his five big aspect scale, which is pretty interesting. Anybody's out there, if you want to look at yourself from, say, a, a solid psychological perspective, the, the five big aspects are something that's considered to be the, uh, the baseline of, of, psycho of uh, personalities in the whole world of psychology. And one of those aspects is um, 
and I might have to have Peter help me out here on this, but there's one called agreeability. And uh, the agreeability scale, it's kind of like if you're a real, really agreeable person, you allow people, people will come up and say, hey, would you do this with me? And you have a really hard time saying no. It's like I'm an agreeable person, right? I don't have that problem. So if, if, if the way that the way I score <laughs> out, if there's 100 people in the room, there's like 99 people in the room that are more agreeable than me. So, so yeah, that's not a problem I've had. So, and maybe to a fault, right? So sometimes I'm like, maybe I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's like, I'm too quick to say that's not part of my agenda. And that's where I have to watch myself. Cause it's like, well, maybe the Holy Spirit's working on you that way, John, maybe you're supposed to open up a little bit. Right. So, but it is a good thing, especially in general with all these things coming at you, you gotta be able to say no. Because you got to put it, that's the critical path. You know, that's that critical path development. You know where you need to be in a year, you know, next week, tomorrow, and in a year, you need to know where you, where you have to be. And so you can't allow these distractions to come at you from other people who want you to do things that they want you to do, right? You got to be able to say, no, can't do that. Yeah. So Covey talks about that in this chapter, actually, and he... I think this is, is this where you were going, Jim? Yeah. Yeah. Right. On. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, Covey talks about having a bigger yes. Right. So we have to know, like John was saying, what that is. And, uh, and we have to be, laser focused on what the bigger yes is so that we can have the capacity to say no if you want to go on with that uh you can jim but i linked the uh, five aspects on the comments on youtube and facebook and that personality assessment is really eye-opening i like stuff like that i'm all into like that self-development and figuring yourself out and what yada yada and uh that one's really good it's cool it's definitely worth the time it takes. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check that out. You guys have talked about that a lot, so I'm gonna have to. It's nothing like his other point. one, like the. It's all uh, bothering. That's intense, like camping. Yeah. Like that's yeah. yes. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Yeah, it is. I've I started it a long time ago, and I'm still. I haven't gotten on it in a long time. <laughs> same brother same proactively right. avoiding that <laughs> <laughs> so we've uh we've talked about the second creation we've talked about uh, prioritizing things and and how we do that with the tools like the matrix or thinking about the big rocks that we're gonna put in place um and we've talked about being able to say no to things and yes to things that are meaningful so a lot of this is principle centered living like we talked about in the last episode and it helps us kind of design this this critical path. And how would you describe the critical path to somebody listening, John? How would you help help us understand that critical path concept? Yeah, and it's not to be confused with critical theory. Uh, okay. <laughs> so if if you're thinking critical theory, you know we we opened up the wrong YouTube channel here, but not not really, but. Uh, the critical path, and it's 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 an amazing. I, I remember mentioning that concept to a priest who was a 
who was a, a vocations director back years ago. And I started, I use this concept of the critical path, which for guys that have been in the construction industry or any kind of building type of industry, you understand the critical path. And, and again, the, the simplified version of the critical path is if I'm going to build a house and I have a piece of property and on, that property has got woods on it and it's kind of hilly and it, things need to happen to it. So if, if the end in mind is I'm going to have a nice house set there with a garage and a driveway and it's going to have a water service and a, you know, it's going to have a sewage service and it's going to have electrical supply and everything. The, that's the end point. I'm seeing this really great house with all these colors and the doors in it and a nice kitchen and a nice basement and a family room. And I can see all that stuff, but then there's this critical path where I got to make it real now. So I got this plot of land. So the, the critical path means the first thing I got to do is go in there and lay it everything out. And I got to cut all the trees off possibly, or some of the trees. And I got to bring the bulldozers in and the earthwork equipment and kind of get it graded. So everything's graded the way it's going to be sort of towards the end of the project. And then dig, dig the foundation, right? Get in there with, with backhoes and stuff and dig the foundation, come in and pour the concrete, lay the concrete block walls. If there's a basement, maybe we're going to pour walls in the basement, come up to the first floor. We're going to deck it. Then we're going to build walls above that. And then we're going to build the, the roof structure. So you can kind of see this fit together. So there's, this is the critical path, all these things. So I can't, I can't say, well, I want to paint the walls first. Well, the walls don't exist first. You have to follow the critical path, right? So, so as, as we're building, and then you, you, if you'll notice, you, you know, as you're driving around, watch a, a house or something that's being built and you'll see a lot of times the walls will go up, you'll have sheathing on. The next thing you know, before the sheathing, on the outside of the house before they put any siding or any finished material, they're putting the roof on, right? So they got the roof up there. They're actually putting shingles up and downspouts, which is really, that's what that's doing is getting rid of the water and a moisture penetration. So they can now start finishing on the inside so they can put the siding up at some later time or right after the roof goes up. But then they can start once that roof goes up and they get dried in next thing, you know, it's a drywall, and then doors and windows and all that kind of stuff. So kind of thinking of that, that's the critical path, but that's anything that we do in our life is kind of like that. Um, you might say, um, again, I'll, I'll refer to like our, our brother, Steve, you know, he's decided he wants to get a construction management degree and he's thought this out like two, three years down and I'm going to have this construction management degree and so he's already thought about, well, I got to take certain courses first. So the, they got to take the more fundamental courses. So I start building on that knowledge that's going to lead me to get that, that construction management degree at the end. So everything in our lives that, that we can achieve and do, whether it's an intellectual pursuit, a spiritual pursuit, or, you know, building something is, has this critical path nature to it, you know, and it's, and that is first, that's putting first things first, right? So I put the first thing first and then step number two, and you can list it all out and you can have all these steps. And that final step is like the paint's done. And I just unlocked the door and walked in the carpets in everything's done right in that house. So that's, that's it in terms of thinking about it, like, 
you know, like building something, but you can think about it like a, you know, getting a four-year bachelor's degree or, uh, you know, becoming a priest. So we know, we, we know a lot of men that, you know, they go to, they go, they get out of high school and then maybe they go right into college or, or they, they get a job for a while and they discern, well, I want to be a priest. Well, the next thing they start thinking about that, well, they have to end up going to taking, you know, college seminary type courses. Then they have to take theology courses. And it's usually like an eight year program where they're forming themselves on this critical path, right. Of becoming this man of God who can be the servant to, to others for us. Right. So there, once again, there's that critical path of a man becoming a priest and taking each step at a time at the right time. And so would you say to do something correctly, there has to be an order to things, yes. that there's, there's usually an order to, to do things correctly. And that's the critical path, right? It, it is indeed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Pete? Anything on the critical path that you want to add to that? Just that, uh, like, when we start to observe everything around us, like, God made the entire world like that. You know what I mean? Like, there's a process Mm -hmm. and a way to go about everything in life that exercises good stewardship. And uh, John covered it really well. I mean, like, that's like that's a great analogy of like building a house. Like everything we're doing is building towards something. And like, like everybody knows there's two plans for our lives. You're building towards one of them, right? I don't really have anything else to say than that. All right. Sounds good. Hey, um, while, while we've got you right here, (laughs) can you say anything about Covey's idea of P and PC balance? kind of what that is. I know John touched on it a little bit earlier about production and production capability, but what's your, your take on that on reading this? Yeah. I don't, so Covey's like super business minded in this right. idea. And I like to take it and put it not in business. <laughs> I'm not a real business guy, but um, so I think of it in terms of like what you're able to give and uh, like, how much you're able to give like so when when you take care of yourself and uh pretty much i think we touched on this in i can't remember what episode maybe it was in uh the introduction where we talked about what our favorite habit was but mine's habit seven which is sharpen the saw and that's like the pc that's improving the production capability so the more i'm i'm focused on covey's idea of building up the the power plant or like, like, you know, taking care of the golden goose that lays the golden eggs, the more golden eggs that it'll lay is the analogy he uses in the book, um, which is Aesop's fable, right? Is that correct? I don't know. I don't remember. I think it is. But anyway, yeah, well, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for nothing. (laughs) I thought you read this book, dude. I did, but I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) anyway (laughs) so so the production the production capability is uh it's really just to me how well are you preparing yourself to produce for the lord like how how much effort are you putting into yourself to give away you know what i mean how good are you making yourself to help others that's 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just yeah. try to keep it as simple as that. Sure. And I like the, you know, you do have to take care of yourself, right? That's a, that's an important part. If you don't have much to give, you're just constantly giving all the time and not kind of refilling and refueling. I, I also like his, the way he looks at um, kind of delegation. And John talked about this earlier when he talked mm -hmm. about, you know, he would see jobs kind of winding down and he, but he would put these guys on it, give them control of it while he went out and hunted for more food or more jobs, you know, that type of thing. And I think I do that even in my own house, you know, with, with the kids, I can't do everything, you know, have a job, pay the mortgage, pay the gas, pay the electric, wash the clothes, wash the dishes, sweep, you know, everything. So we have to delegate, which kind of helps with that, keep that PPC balance. Did you say that, John? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I was thinking a lot about that while you were talking about the, uh, but this, this idea of delegation and, and, uh, you know, one of the problems we get into or, or that, a that a man can get into a any human being can get into this problem is when you're, the idea is to enrich other people so that they can become masters of their, of the seven habits in their own right. Right. So we don't want to be, go for delegators and Covey talks a bit about that. Right. So it's like, don't be that guy that says here, go do this, go do this, go do this. In other words, we need, we need to arrive at this place in our life where we're kind of giving everybody else. We're kind of talking to them about the end in mind. Right. Well, like, so we were and it's, it's great the way like people like Jordan Peterson talk about that, that like, and that's why young men love him because he's looking at him saying, look, man, you got lots of good stuff there. You need to start using it. We're counting on you. So he kind of starts with that. Like, it's, and you can see how he's reflecting the first habit there. You're in charge of this and you've got this great power that if you just tap into it and the way you do that is start looking out into the future and seeing what the whole picture is. So then you can start understanding what it is the the third habit of, of first things first, right? So you can start directing your own life in this first things first type of critical path, right? And moving out. So, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's something that we as, as men in, in our work with other men, we, we really embrace that idea of the, you know, of really, a you know, helping other men to become leaders, leaders of their own life, and then eventually leaders of other people's lives. Right. And I think that's, you know, what we do too is, is in families is try to instill that, you know, he, like he talks about in his book about clean and green, you know, training his, his son to take care of the yard and, you know, giving him that, enabling him, giving him that power to do this, but not like doing it for him. You know, saying, hey, you're in charge. This is your job. I'll help you, but you have to, to kind of grow into this. And I, I see that, you know, with my own kids. Um, before we move on a little bit, I wanted to address a couple comments here. I saw Kevin Jones. He says uh, he's watching on YouTube, said absolutely in order for manhood, man must earn a black belt, not have it given. You know, and I think about as we were talking about that critical path and there's an order to things made me think of that the great book that we'll probably be addressing here soon. Um, the way of the wild heart where John Eldridge goes through those stages of, you know, from boy to man to King, all those different stages. And there's, there's an order to it. You can't jump from 
boy to king, which I think a lot of people try to do today. You know, they just try to jump the line and try to become what they're not. And they haven't earned it. They haven't put in the time. They haven't suffered or any any of those types of things. So I'm glad he brought that up. That's just a, that's a good book. Hopefully we'll we'll look at that soon. Yeah, and it also addresses another another point that Kevin's made there that, uh, you know, deep, deep inside of all this, there's this problem with, you know, how we were raised, the experiences we had in life, the the ups and downs that we had and how we've kind of internalized those, right? And they're kind of, kind of things in our lives that are holding us back, right? Holding us back from, say, the full appreciation in our own lives of the seven habits and, and you know, being the man that God made us to be. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's important stuff to be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Talks, he mentioned something about the wounds, you know, that then we, we've talked about that before briefly, but examining those wounds and how to heal those wounds. Um, because there's another entity that has its eye on those wounds as well, because that's Satan. And he's always, you getting a little bit of frustration, a little bit upset. We talked about this earlier this week when we were just kind of having our chat session about this, but the attacks of the devil, and then he knows where to hit us. He knows where those wounds are sometimes even better than we do ourselves. And he he'll start digging in there. So definitely the uh, Bob Schultz uh, stuff. I'm going to be going to a healing conference in December uh, with him. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, great. Kind of, kind of on those lines and this is going to be a curveball for you guys, but I'm in charge tonight. So you're going to have to deal with it. Um, <laughs> Covey Covey also talks about emotional bank account and I want to get your take on that what he means by that or how you interpreted that so who wants to go through that gauntlet first well that's that's right up my alley you're taking there Jim that's right up my alley dude I like that kind of stuff so like um, Covey talks about this idea of an emotional bank account and how we uh can either make deposits in these in our relationships with others or just make withdrawals. And the instances, well, I guess the examples of a deposit would be an affirmation or encouragement or, or love um, being given to the other. And a withdrawal would be some sort of not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be negative, but some sort of action that, uh, that is not a deposit, really. Anything that's not a deposit. So, and anything that is negative is like way worse. It's like <laughs> just add on some zeros, right? But, right. <laughs> so <laughs> this idea of like um, Covey talks about being effective with people and, st- and not efficient, that you, that slow is fast with people. And the fast right. is slow with right. when you're dealing with relations and uh, especially with these accounts, these bank accounts, these emotional bank accounts. Um, so, yeah, it seems yeah. like there's a real biblical tie in to all of this, of course. Right. This this idea of the uh, I mean, I'm thinking I mean, I, I can't help but think about the uh, the. Uh, story of the prodigal son right yeah which we we -hmm. had that came up here in the past few weeks and just the idea that the father is always there present ready to 
ready to take back the son who's who's basically in a sense you know the 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 young son is basically taken out he's taken from the his father's emotional bank account you might say which is kind of interesting right so that's such a tough story for a lot of men i've talked to some evangelical men's before and they're just like I don't get that story, right? It's not right. It's like the son's basically taken his part of the his inheritance and he's gone out and he's blown it and you know, and then he's coming back, right? And it's the father who's like so from the father's perspective, the fact that the son has returned, that he's come back is like that's for the father who's infinite and and of of infinite love, it's like that's just joy for him, right? That's just joy. And, uh, and at such a great for that young son is like the father's just filled his bank account by his bring. I mean, the son's like, just let me be one of the servants, you know, let me be one of the servants that feeds the swine. I'm good with that. Right. But the father's like, no, you're my son. Right. Mm. And that's just, so there, there's a lot of exchange there. And then, I've always thought that that the neat thing about the, you know, there's the the oldest son who, the fa- who gets angry. And he feels like so he he's been, he feels like somebody's stolen from my emotional bank account because because the father accepted my brother back, it's like stolen from my mm. emotional bank account. Right, but wow. it's not real, right? In his case, it's like the father looks at him and says, my son, you've always been here with me. Everything I have is yours. Uh, amazing, amazing story, right? And it, it kind of goes back to that, you know, a few weeks earlier, we had the the um, the story about the uh, labors that come to work, right? So you got the first labors that show up, right? Or first thing in the morning and they're, they and then there's there's some labors that show up at noon and there's some labors that show up like at the the seventh hour of the day right and when the father doles out the pay it's like he's giving everybody the pay but he gives everybody the same amount right so the guys that were there at the beginning were like uh, they're feeling like they got that the father has taken from their emotional bank account but what's so weird about that is like are you kidding me You've been working in the Lord's vineyard since the beginning of the day. What else is there, man? It's like, that's the best. It's like you, I've got, and it's like, you should be overjoyed. Yeah. Let them have it all. Lord. Just like, yeah. I mean, it's like, I can't believe it, man. You should have shown up here at seven o'clock because it's joyful here. Right. I get to do the Lord's work. Thanks for coming brother here. It's all yours too. Right. It's like our failure to understand that, uh, is pretty amazing. So I kind of went off there a little bit, but, uh, no, that's, that's great. That's beautiful, John. Just amazing. Yeah, those are solid times. Yeah, yeah. And I've always, and again, I'm going to go off the the range here and be a little heretical, but I I think I've always thought that that was misnamed, a misnamed parable, that it should be called the prodigal father. Because when you look up prodigal, what does that mean? It means giving away lavishly, almost foolishly. And that's really what the father does to both sons. And again, I mean, you could even apply it to that story of the vineyard. He's just, you know, he's just spinning like there's, there's no tomorrow because he's infinite, infinite goodness. And 
So to me, it's always, you know, I'm kind of, I'm rewriting that parable, not rewriting the parable, <laughs> turning it into a story form. And that's the name of it is the prodigal father, because that's, he's just spending, it almost looks wasteful the way he's doing that. But that's just, like you said, it's, he's filling up these emotional bank accounts. All right, good. I'm glad you guys were okay with me springing that on you a little bit. Uh, we didn't have that in our in our notes or even talk about it before. Yeah, so. you, you went way off the reservation there, James. Right. I would have lost it if I wasn't so <laughs> yeah, tired, thanks, Jim. Thanks yeah. to Lori, who's brought up Henry. Henry Nowen's The Return of the Prodigal Son. She says it's an excellent book. I haven't read it, but I've always heard really good things about it. Yeah, me too. I'd like to, like to get that. All right, well, we're going to kind of wind down here and like we usually do we like to try try and tie all this stuff to to our faith and you know specifically in the sacraments and the scriptures and john's already kind of led us in that direction with the with the prodigal son parable and the workers in the vineyard any other scriptures that you can think of that kind of illustrate this um but first things first you know there is another one that i was thinking of that it gets more down into that say in into onto the critical path thing and again another scriptural reading from the, i think the past week where the lord's basically saying you know if 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 you're if you're uh, a king of a kingdom and you know your enemy's coming to attack you you're going to basically figure out what's going on right mm -hmm. you recall the one i'm talking about and he's saying and if you realize that you don't have the manpower to basically fight this man successfully, you need to go out ahead of time and petition for peace. Right. He's right. also talking in that same, that same uh, story he's talking about that a man who's going to build a tower, you have to make an assessment of what do I have? Do I have all the materials? Do I have all the, the money I need? Do I have every, the equipment that I need to build that tower because only a fool's going to, do that you know only a fool's gonna like start the tower and then he's like why well, i i didn't figure things correctly right so so i think very in a very on boots on the ground way that those biblical stories really are talking about habit number three in specific mm -hmm. about about getting all the getting everything together getting your plan together getting your materials together understanding you've got everything you need you, need, you have got all the resources and the, the ability to take the job on and then you do it i think in genesis as well when god created man and the first thing we did was anybody <laughs> <laughs> rest <laughs> we rested uh. <laughs> so that was his first thing was to to rest is that what you're saying begin with rest <laughs> All I'm saying. he was sharpening the saw right off the bat saw's gotta be sharp dude <laughs> yeah and i think as we uh move through the liturgical year now we're going to be heading into towards the end of it and we're going to start getting a lot of readings that are talking about the end, you know, keeping that, that end in, in front of us and being ready. And, you know, it helps us to put first things first. The God is the most important. We're going to be reminded to be ready to fill our lamps, seek first, you know, the kingdom, then everything else is, will fall into place. To me, that's kind of like that big rock is the kingdom. Then everything else falls into place. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. And today we're, we're, uh, 
So we're, we're celebrating Our Lady of Sorrows. And to me, I was thinking about this and it's kind of like she was thinking about, you know, put first things first. Do you know what the last words of Mary are written in scripture? Little Bible quiz. Nope. It, do whatever he tells you. That's right. Do whatever he tells you, right? That's that's the first thing first right there. That's the priority. It was hers and that was should be ours as well. How about a sacrament? Any sacraments you can match up with with this habit? I put anointing of the sick. Um, to me, it's like when you're sick, all the other silly stuff fades away. You get focus. You, you're tuned into what's really important. I mean, you think about deathbed confessions, you think, you know, and conversions and things like that, that it just all kind of fades away. There's a, there's a great scripture, Sirach 738 says, remember death and you will never sin. Mm-hmm. I'd love to think about that. It's like, yep, I'm going to die. So <laughs> I need to keep myself on the straight and narrow. That's, that's my priority. That's my first thing first. Yeah, that's a great thing to think about. It's uh, remember that we're not here forever. Right. It's easy to forget. It's easy to get caught up in the madness for sure. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Michael says death before sin. Yeah, a lot of saints, that's been their their battle cry, right? St. Maria Goretti, death rather than sin. Mm. Right on. Do you want to do a, a recap for us, Jim? Absolutely. Everything we've gone over tonight. Sure. Yeah. So we've, uh, this has been a great, great episode talking about the uh, putting first things first and how we've moved from being proactive into that, that uh, mindset of beginning with the end in mind. That second creation comes next, put it into reality, and then how we manage all that stuff and filter it and, and put it in perspective and build that critical path. So there's there's a lot in this, and this is one of the shortest chapters in his book, actually, but it's just packed full of great stuff. So um, I think that's about it. Uh, anything else, John? You want to? Yeah. So what the uh, next week we're going to go on to habit number four, which is think win win. So so at, with habit number three now, when we've we've talked about the put first things first and we've had proactivity, you know, be in control of your own life and then begin with the end in mind and put first things first. Covey calls that the personal victory. So next week, we're going to start into that, the public victory. So where do we move after we're, after we've moved up out of dependency into independence as, as an independent agent in God's created universe. Now it's time to start working with other people, right? Which is really the exciting stuff. So that's where we're going to start moving into that realm of interdependence of working with one another. And so we'll be talking about think when, when, uh, if you, uh, if you like what you're seeing here, folks, please bump on over to YouTube there, hit that subscribe button and the like button. And especially on the, uh, Facebook and also on LinkedIn. Love to see you come back. And uh, so, yeah, anything free, that I forgot there, man? I would just say that if you do like it, um, wherever you're listening, whether it's or watching, 
podcasts or videos to, like John said, like, subscribe, but also share it with people, let other people know about it. Is it too late to sign up for the father-son camp out? Oh, no. No, still. Okay. Uh, yeah, we could we could take you in. So it's going to be uh, uh, a week from tomorrow evening. We'll be showing up for the father-son camp out, the discernment camp out with Father Han and some fathers with sons who are uh, seventh grade up through high school. So, uh, yeah, if you, if you, men, if you have a son out there and you're not uh, wrapped up in football next weekend, come out and join us. And, uh, we'll talk about fatherhood and uh, priesthood. So that'll be a good time. All right. And you can find that information on the wilderness outreach website and you can, uh, you can uh, fill out the application there and, uh, and sign up right there. Perfect. All right. Well, we're going to close this out with a prayer. Um, you want me to do that? Or you want to, John? Yeah, go ahead, James. Okay. So we're going to close out with this prayer from evening prayer for the Our Lady of Sorrows. And uh, we'll start in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, as your son was raised on the cross, his mother Mary stood by him sharing his sufferings. May your church be united with Christ in his suffering and death and so come to share in his rising to new life, where he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Have a great week. God bless you all.